you know, I can't tell you, Nick, how many free days I've had. I want to go to the beach and do this. You know, my daughter, I've had more princess parties than I want to admit to you guys. I'm not <laughs> a pretty princess, but it's what she wanted to do. And I go all in and and that didn't really cost anything. There might've been a, a lunch that was, you know, so, and I try to eat healthy someplace, not very healthy, but I let them choose. And, you know, it's, it's eight bucks to supersize it. We're not talking some expensive things. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Kingdom REI podcast show. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond, and really, really excited to be here with you today with an incredible guest, someone uh, that you're probably going to recognize from a book that I hope you've read. If you haven't read, uh, you should definitely go read uh, read The Family Boardroom. We have Jim Shields that's going to be on today. And I have a co-host on as well, Nick Stromwall, COO of Kingdom REI. Nick, welcome to the show, man. Can't wait to be here. I heard that we were getting Jim and I've read this book twice, so I can't wait to to learn from him in the, the coming minutes here. Tell me real quick before we introduce Jim, why you've read this book twice. It's, you know, that's, that's pretty, that's a compliment, I think, to the author to read someone's book twice, uh, much less read, read once to come back to a, what, what, what was significant for you? Yeah, I think growing up, uh, we spent an entire month at my grandparents' cabin and just the memories that were developed there um, have kind of been my memories that I always go back to. I have three sons and a daughter on the way, and I really want to invest intentionally in the lives of my kids. And I think uh, what really struck me in this book was just this concept of time, spending quality time with your kids. And the whole boardroom idea is just genius. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business owner. And I think it's, it's easy to, you know, focus on your business and neglect, you know, your, your family at home. So can't wait to uh, pepper Jim with some questions. All right, Jim, now we've all buttered you up, man. Made you sound good. Let's, let's, let's get to the real man himself. Jim, welcome to the show. Hey guys. Thanks. Appreciate the compliments. And I think the reason Nick wrote it, read it twice is because it's a very short book. So that makes it unintimidating. So, uh, <laughs> but I do appreciate the compliment very much. Jim, I, one of the things I wanted to ask you just before we kind of get into this idea of eight, you know, having 18 summers or maybe we can get talk about the, the, the book itself, would you share a little about your story and just why that's so, why this message is so significant for you? I, I'm sure there's a story behind this uh, that you can share with us just to kind of learn more about who you are. The inception of this really came in back in 2011. Uh, I was sent uh, an article about uh, a guy named uh, Walter Isaacson. And Walter Isaacson was uh, his, one of his claims to fame. He was Steve Jobs' biographer. And uh, he was interviewed a few days after Steve Jobs passed away. And, uh, and the article said, Steve Jobs spent his final days surrounded by close family and used the opportunity for final interviews to explain to his wife and children why he wasn't always there for them. And, uh, and it goes into, you know, final quotes of Steve Jobs saying, you know, I wanted my family to know who I was. Um, I wasn't always there for them. And I wanted to explain why and hope that they understand. And this guy, you know, I give him a lot of credit. As I'm reading this article, it was a pretty uh, pinnacle time in my life. And I'll explain that. But um, he said to Steve Jobs, he said, you know, are you are you glad you had a family? Are you glad you had, had children? And uh, and he said, Steve fired right back and said, yeah, it's 10,000 times better than anything I've ever done. And that was just a, a huge aha for me because, uh, you know, it was a busy time in my life then, you know, um, you know, sitting there that day, I was uh, running two real estate investment companies that I'd 
been brought back from near extinction from the 08 meltdown. You know, we were doing okay by them, but, you know, we had some serious close to bankruptcy calls through 08, like a lot of investors. So I was just getting back on my feet. Um, I was going through the process of adopting my two oldest sons. You know, I now have five children, a mixture of biological and adoptive, but that was a, a major thing in my life. And, and that prior day, I think it was that prior day I had gotten um, the notice from the Mayo Clinic that I'd been accepted to donate a kidney to my father. Um, so I had some really heavy things going on. And, uh, and I thought about that article and, uh, and honestly, you know, it was easy for any of us to cross up our arms and say, oh, well, you know, Steve Jobs, I'm not surprised he had a reputation for being a jerk, you know, and maybe so. But what I realized was right sitting right there with some big things on my plate. Here I am, you know, my business are finally getting back on their feet. I'm adopting two young boys and I was, you know, now going to be lying on the table to cut open my body and give part of it to my dad. You know, what if the rug of health was pulled out from me? You know, would, would, would I be in the same position in six months as Steve Jobs? Would I be doing final interviews like of regret and not being there? And, uh, and that was my aha. Uh, and, uh, and that, that changed the way that you get put to that point of critical. You just can't look at things the same. And I think, people would say to that year of going through all those things of, you know, donating a kidney and, and adopting these two boys within a year, all, all this within the same year, I, I just started to look at things differently. I was kind of a changed person. And, um, and I started to really just dabble in how do we make sure we're successful in business and successful at home? That, that was my, my, my big question that I kind of wanted to search for. And, and born out of that was was the family board meeting, and uh, and my wife and I, you know, we get pretty vulnerable in that book, as as you know, you guys know about an unperfect family starting out, and and um, and it was not easy to write about. But once we did, we saw the need, you know, and and I never would have thought this would become a Wall Street Journal bestseller when we wrote it. I was like, all right, let me just write it. And kind of like I've said, I've done it. <laughs> and now here we are, you know, from the first release 10 years later, uh, talking about it. So, you know, uh, my life for the last 24 years went from real estate to both real estate and family impact, you know, and now with, you know, I still have my real estate investment company and that's going well, but, uh, but a lot of my impact now is getting on shows and stages and events to help families make sure they don't lose those 18 summers, that they don't take the terrible advice out there of, hey, you're in business now, put your head down for the next five or 10 years and get back to your family life later, they'll understand. That's horrible advice. And it's out there all over the place. And what I found is you can make little deposits uh, that can make all the difference all along the way so you can have the best of both worlds. What do you think, I just would love to hear, to, to go back to what Steve Jobs said, 10,000 times better than anything I've ever done. That's <laughs> That guy, if there's anybody who did anything, it was that guy. Right. I mean, to, in your experience in, in having done, you know, running businesses, seeing them go up and down and, and really kind of diving into this, what, what do you think you understand more about that quote today than you did when you first read it? I think I understand my priorities a lot more. Um, there is a desire at a, especially a younger age, middle-aged age, probably any age, but definitely a younger age uh, to be famous. And um, I've learned definitely over the last decade, 
very, very well that fame is so fleeting when it's the outside people that don't even know you. You know, I, I, I switched it on its head where I figured, I, yeah, if things work out and with the business industry and, and even what we do with 18 summers, that's great. But I want to be famous at home. You know, so many people are strangers at home and famous in their industry or, and there are other things I'm like, not my goal anymore. You know, I, my, first and foremost, I want to be famous at home. And that's where I see someone like Steve Jobs. And I'm really appreciative to Steve Jobs. They say a man receives extreme clarity at the end of his life. That's what a lot of different spiritual philosophies all agree on. You get you get clarity. And I, I happen to believe that. And I'm like, wow, how great is that he left us these clues? That someone who, who you know, when he died, he had these, you know, every periodical in the world writing about him, candlelight vigils, you know, murals painted on him. And what he was saying was, man, this was 10,000 times better than anything I've ever done. And so I think he he just left me some really important clues. And one of those being aim to be famous at home. And if the other things come, great. But the real substance, the people that will be there for you uh, are going to be those people that, you know, are who should not be a stranger to you. And so many entrepreneurs are strangers at home. I don't want to be that person. I think in your book, you talk about the the missing ingredients. And as entrepreneurs... No, we want financial freedom. I think a lot of entrepreneurs actually want time freedom. We talk, mm-hmm. you talk about in your book, the difference between spending time with your kids, the coming and going from events, you know, watching videos, eating lunch, going for a drive versus quality time, you know, purpose, focus, time, attention. Um, I just want to read one quote for your book for our listeners. You say, at the heart of these stories is a single truth. We don't understand the difference between time and quality time. You ask the question, when was the last time you spent a whole day alone with your child, no electronic distractions, while enjoying a fun activity and a meaningful conversation? Talk to us about the difference between, you know, normal time versus quality time. Yeah, normal time is is when we, you know, are in the car driving, on the phone listening to a podcast and our our kids in the back seat. That's that's just regular time, passing time. There's no depth. There's lots of distraction. Quality time is more intentional. It's more focused. It's more um, set at the stage for real connection, but it rarely happens. And, you know, and we'll probably discuss the principles that help really facilitate true quality time. And we're moving such in a fast direction. And it's not, we're not even trying to be malicious. We're just fast. And we, we overlook some real simple things that we're not set up for that. So quality time has real depth. It has, you know, real effectiveness where passing time, it's important, but it's the garnish. It's not the meat and potatoes. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And you kind of unpack a, a, a three, three-step process to this concept of board, room, uh, board meeting. So can you tell us, our, tell our listeners about what, what is yeah. this board yeah, meeting? Yeah, let's talk about the three principles. So the first principle is the, the most, I think the most important the most potent, the most effective, and it's also probably the easiest and the most overlooked. And that's something that I've learned really, really clearly now working with thousands of families and obviously my own family being the most important test subject. And that's this, you got to separate the parts to strengthen the whole. You got to separate the parts to strengthen the whole. And that's the one-to-one principle. And, and even, and again, I am not a family psychologist. I'm not a therapist. And those serve a, a great time and place uh, but sometimes I think things get too confusing. And I, I'm surprised more people don't talk about this because it is 
such a straight line from A to B. And that is just getting one-on-one with each of your family members. Separate the parts to strengthen the whole. And I've seen this save marriages. I've seen this take people from, you know, being on the surface or feeling like strangers at home, you know, feeling like just roommates or, or, or just a part-time disciplinarian or an ATM to having real connection. And one-on-one time rarely happens. But what it does, it separates away all distraction and puts the magnifying glass on that one relationship in a positive way. And that can foster deeper conversation, more understanding and Most people say, so you're saying the simple starting point of your whole uh, movement is just starting to spend one-on-one time with each member of your family? And the answer is yes, absolutely. You know, and I think I joke, I don't know if I had this in the book, I do in my talks a lot. You know, I'm I'm from a a large Irish Catholic family. And uh, that means I have like 4,000 cousins, you know, and that's great for a big family gathering. Uh, but it's it's not it's not at these gatherings where I've had the biggest breakthrough with my children. It's it's not at these big things where you're going to have those deeper, more um, uncomfortable conversations. Uh, that that happens at the one-on-one time. Uh, not only with my children, but also my wife. You know, with five children ranging from two to twenty, we could have every excuse in the book. You know, not to have one-on-one time with each other. Almost like we're selfish. What about the kids? It is one of the most important things to keep the marriage and the family going strong for my wife and I to have one-on-one time. So the one-to-one principle is absolutely the pinnacle most important, in my opinion. Yeah, that's good. One-on-one, how often do you recommend, Jim? I don't know if you know this, Nick, but we released a new update to the book this past year, which includes about not only children, but also people kept saying, talk about your marriage, because my wife and I do some uh, different events together as well. And you know, guys, I, this is, this is a different thing for both children and for spouses. Now with my spouse, I'm looking for one-on-one time every week, every week we have a date night. And I can't tell you how many big real estate groups I go to. These guys have big balance sheets and they're feeling separate and kind of distant at home. And I said, when's the last time you had a a date with your spouse? Oh, well, eight months. And I'm going, holy cow, you know, this is a relationship shower every week. You know, you're pretty stinky if by eight months you haven't taken a, a relationship shower. And so that's that's for my spouse. Now with my children, I try to, you know, and it's in the book, spend at least a half a day every quarter with each one of my children. And people, of course, the entrepreneur overachiever says, that's not enough. I'm going to try for every week or every month. And I say, look, you got to give time for reflection and anticipation and with busy schedules a day, a quarter, especially when you got as many kids as, you know, I have. And now, you know, Nick's <laughs> growing up too. Yeah. That's, that's some commitment. And these days are now like the pillars. It's the reset. And, and, and so we go for a day, a quarter with each one of my children. And now, and to add to that, some of you might be saying, well, my children over the age 18, I'm getting to that age as now with two of my oldest are 18 and 20, I tell people if their kids are away, even if, you know, the day they hit 18, you spend one day a year, one day a year, one-on-one with them, you did better than most people out there. I mean, my dad, I lost him last year at the age of 87. We didn't have one day a year, one-on-one for years. Yeah. So even if your kids aren't there, you know, to get one day, one-on-one a year, you're probably going to have a deeper connection with them that will build year after year than most people who just get together for the big parties where it's just craziness and you don't really have that focus time on that relationship. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, that's good. That's really man. good. Jim. That's really convicting. I think too, yeah. just even as I'm sitting here listening, uh, you know, I, I lost my dad when I was uh, when I was 21 years old. He was 55 years old, and I think yeah. about my mom. Right, it's just like I got one parent, and you know, I see her two or three times a year. But but you know, how, how, what I would give to have one day a year with my dad back. You oh, know, yeah. like you don't realize what you, what you have until it's gone. And so I think that's really, really powerful. Um, and I heard, I've heard, you know, other people talk about this where, you know, another big podcast guy, um, Ed Milet had spoken about, you know, losing his dad and to think about if you really calculate how many days you have left, you know, with your parents. And if you're only doing, you know, one day, you know, let's just say we're actually doing one day a year, you don't got many more days with your with oh. your family, right? Especially oh. with your with your older parents, and that's that's something really challenging to think about. Yeah, and let me tell you, and, and I'm sorry to hear you lost your dad so early. I'm, I mean, even though I lost him, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. My dad lived to nearly 88. You know, I donated the kidney to him, um, and he was healthy as a horse for a decade. I got an extra decade with my dad, that's and to cool. have that, you know, it's it it, it was it was a cheat. It was it was a rewind and and we didn't take that for granted. And even with your mom or others, what I've what I've started to talk to people about is regret. And people said, oh, because a big part of 18 summers is wow, you like this relationship, you and your dad weren't that strong, but then you grew closer as adults, and then you did this kidney thing and like, but you lost them. And I said, Yeah, but I have no regrets. So, so I can tell you, people were like, oh, this is going to be, and I, people said, we were so scared when you, you were going to lose your dad. Like, it's just such a part of you. And I said, you know what, don't get me wrong. It was painful and sad, but when you, when you've hedged against regret, it eases the pain. And I had no regrets with my dad. There was nothing left unsaid. Everything was put on the table. And we, we had those days that I would have never done had we not gone through this tough thing. So I encourage people out there, regret is who it is expensive, it, you know, it's taxing. And so if you can put these little deposits in place, I can tell you from experience, like losing someone as close as my dad, it hurt. I'm sad. I miss him. But there was no regret, which eased a lot of the potential pain, I believe. You know, one of the concepts in your book, you talk about let your kids choose what they want to do for this adventure. And I don't know if you've ever watched the movie, uh, The Yesterday, where the kids can oh, basically- I love it. Uh, yeah. do, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. so I, I found myself feeling like, is this what Jim means? Like you can just, your kids get an unlimited, unlimited budget or how do you have parameters? Maybe just share a couple of your favorite moments with your kids um, and things that they got to choose. Yeah. You know, I, and, and we love that movie and they are, our youngest are like, this is kind of like board meeting day, huh? I'm like, well, kind of, you know, and they, you know, so we think that's great. And, you know, we all think, we build up these things in our heads like they're going to be like, I want to go out and get this. And it's going to be like a $5,000 day. This, that, I want that. You know, I can't tell you, Nick, how many free days I've had. I want to go to the beach and do this. You know, my daughter, I've had more princess parties than I want to admit to you guys. I'm not <laughs> a pretty princess, but it's what she wanted to do. And I go all in. And, and that didn't really cost anything. There might have been a, a lunch that was, you know, so, and I try to eat healthy someplace, not very healthy, but I let them choose. And, you know, it's, it's eight bucks to supersize it. We're not talking some expensive things. And so there might be one where we, we've done with a few of them, like snuck away to Disney for the day. And that's a big one, right? 
but it doesn't have to be like that. So if people are, you know, you're, you're in the trenches and you haven't made it a lot, it, it doesn't have to be like, oh, if I don't pay for this huge experience, if I don't buy them this huge gift, which I love gift giving, but that's not what this day's about. So we've done anything from climb the lighthouse in our town, which is in the book. And that's about $7 a person, you know, to fishing with my son, which is, you know, off the beach, a little bit of bait, you know, we might do a half day on a boat and that might be $200, but you know, so there's, that's a price range right there of $12 to 200. Um, there's been, let's go to the pool alone. There's usually a meal, you know, there's so many things, a, a museum, a miniature golf, a, a play, you know, there's, there's things that they can, they can choose an amateur football game. You know, we're, we're talking some pretty cheap pricing. Um, we've also done things where around this time of year, especially with my older boys, they might cost a little more, but I'll, what we do is the fourth board meeting of the year for many of years, and I probably should have put this in the book, was about giving back. So we would do something fun like go walk all the dogs at the no-kill shelter. We'd buy homeless, uh, the all the homeless population, you know, there's always 20-something homeless people. You know, we bought out the pizzeria of pizzas and brought them to all the homeless people in the town square and, and gave them to them. We bought all the firemen and police officers pizzas. We we did the 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 shopper sneak. You know, I don't know if you guys have heard of that, um, where you know you kind of you're at the supermarket, you prepay uh, to a to a cashier, and then you let them know if someone's looking like they really need it, and you don't reveal yourself, and then you walk out with a big smile that this person has been helped. So those cost some money, but that's also because we're giving back. The dogs were free. Pizzas cost quite a bit to buy that many, uh, but again, this is the kind of things I want to see my kids doing with our money. But but price range literally can go from five dollars to and up. Yeah, that is awesome. that's cool. Right, uh, Jim, while while I got you, I you know what people might not know about you from reading your book is that you're a pretty active real estate investor and I, you know, get, getting to know you and learning that. So one of the questions, right. Is like, well, how do you, you know, support this lifestyle or, or how do you, how do you create more freedom so you can do more things like that? And I know you're, you're a big believer in passive income and creating that and real estate has done that for you. I've, uh, I loved hearing your, your experience in the build to rent space. Let's go there for a little bit. Can we, man? I know we got about 10 minutes or so, and I want to hear kind of what you're doing in the build to rent, why, how you even landed in that and, and, you know, what you see is the foreseeable future of the build to rent space. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I was, uh, 24 years in as a real estate investor. The first niche I did super excited, full of a lot of, you know, like fire and excitement and it nearly bankrupts me. And, uh, and then, you know, obviously learn some lessons on due diligence, picking the right properties, systems, better capital allocations, and built a pretty successful uh, model, you know, with bulk foreclosures. And uh, so it was making money, but it was, got to tell you, it was bankrupting my time. And, uh, and so many of us real estate investors forget the reason we went into it is freedom of time. It's not only to be able to afford certain things, maybe we couldn't as a kid. I know that was a big goal of mine. But if you're bankrupt in your time, is it really working? And so about 10 years ago is when I really finally hit my stride. And that's when, you know, my now uh, building partner and I had done a lot of bulk foreclosures. And he made the call to say, hey, what, what would you think if we built our own investment properties instead of rehabbed old ones and, you know, tried to do properties that way? And, uh, and that was a slow idea on an old dog like me who said, oh, what do you mean? I've been rehabbing houses for almost 15 years. This is all I know. This is what I do. Uh, so it was a learning curve. 
you know, but uh, that's learning curve started with, you know, it's the two of us throwing in some money and, and building about $3 million worth of real estate here in Jacksonville uh, as an experiment. Fast forward a decade later, we did almost 200 million in sales. And our, uh, our focus is working with for ourselves and other investors to build new construction properties in high growth markets in Florida. You know, areas with population growth and economic growth, uh, you know, a good affordability buy-in with cash flow and something desirable. And there's a need for housing here right now. So we build a simple menu of single family duplexes and quads, you know, have nearly a thousand active investors now, you know, and it's, it's pretty cool to see we've created millionaires out of a lot of our clients uh, who, uh, who just, you know, started investing with us to build a small portfolio. We work with a lot of people who, they want to be in real estate, but not necessarily full time. They've got a successful career um, or or business, but they want some sort of asset base in real estate, and they're not in the area. You know, we have a lot of people from more expensive areas on the West Coast in Utah now and Washington State that where I used to be in California for for years that they want the fundamentals of Florida. They want the better landlord laws. They want the cash flow, uh, and they also don't want headaches like old houses can sometimes provide. So we only do new construction now. And I see the build to rent model continuing to flourish. You know, the term build to rent didn't even exist, you know, when we started this, there was no build to rent term. Uh, now it's Wall Street Journal material and there's billions of dollars going towards it. So I see the niche continuing to grow. And for people that will learn the uh, little higher learning curve, I think there's a lucrative opportunity and there's People who, you know, one of my goals, guys, overall saying, you know, what advice would you give your brother-in-law if he was just starting out in real estate today? And I'll preface that. I really like my brother-in-law. He's former military, great guy, love him to pieces. Um, the advice I'd give to him, well, he's not involved really in real estate investing, but I would say buy less of better quality with less leverage. That's my whole thing is this guy who's not that, you know, fire and vinegar kid of, of, you know, 25 years ago, you know, I'd say you don't have to own a ridiculous amount, own better quality, don't have too much leverage in better areas. And, uh, and that's kind of what we do for build to rent for people. Cause I've seen a lot of people get hurt with the extra tough areas with a lot of deferred maintenance. And, and I've looked at how I've made most of my money over the last 24 years. And it's definitely been getting away from that model uh, and going to this build to rent. Can you um, reshare what that uh, that clip real quick to your brother-in-law? What you said about the type of properties he should sure. be focused on? I thought that own, was really good. Own less of better quality with less leverage. You know, when I almost went broke uh, in 08, you know, it's it's cool. There was that you know the hundred house club. Once you get a hundred houses, your life's grand. Well, I way surpassed that, but. You have to look at what's what's the condition of those properties, what area, what's your LTV, you know. So yeah. I used to own way more properties. I own a lot less properties now, and I have way more equity and way more cash flow than I ever have. And I think we get caught up in the numbers. We also get in caught up in cheap buy-ins, which anything that I've seen for new investors that chews them up and spits them out of the real estate investing niche is they usually go for super cheap deferred maintenance type properties in tougher areas that just give them a, a heck of a, a tumble and then they get out. So what I've tried to encourage people is say, look, 
maybe instead of buying three of those types of properties, buy one higher quality property and look for the long term. And, uh, and so that's it. Own less, a better quality with less leverage. Again, I was the king of yeah. 5% down. I'll take it. <laughs> now I'm an old man and I'm like, ah, if I can't put 40% down, I'm not doing it, you know, and, and maybe that's a little too conservative for people and that's okay, but you got to find that, but, you know, to ride the good times and to survive, you know, sideways markets, which is kind of real estate cyclical. If you own less of better quality with less leverage, you're going to be able to see through any kind of sideways times. And then when the opportunities of growth come again, you can really capitalize. Sounds like a man who's been through at least one or two down cycles and had to spend three or four years fighting himself out of it and wasted a lot of time not making money is what it sounds like to me. So it sounds like pretty sound advice. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, I learn from my wounds, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of us, um, and I'm sure a lot of folks listening to this are, are maybe going through some of that right now, right? With the rise of interest rates and starting to feel some of that, some of that pain for sure. Yeah. One thing I'll hit on with interest rates too is you, the nice thing of people say, why is, why is Bill Durant, now that we've built the company up to the size it is, and part of our company actually got acquired last year uh, by a large Japanese group that gives us autonomy to run it. And I won't say unlimited funding, but great funding. It really puts us in a financial position that's not only able to get builds done quicker and cheaper, uh, but also we also offer in-house financing now. So where most people, if they're walking in to buy, let's say a duplex, they go into an average mortgage company, they're getting quoted at about eight and a quarter, maybe eight and a half. Right now with our in-house financing, we're getting people financed at five and a quarter. So we're beating the market by almost 3%, which you guys know to get their starting cash flow off on the right foot is absolutely yeah. imperative. And I encourage people to look at that, whether with us or others. Sometimes a good build-to-rent company will offer these kind of in-house financing programs. And so even though rates are way up at a 24-year high, you can actually search and find someone that's actually, you know, pre-buying the money to get you into that cheaper rate. So you're you're defying market odds. And for and for clarity's sake, your investors are actually buying are, are typically your your they're buying your back-end product, meaning you guys are developing the duplex and the investors you bring to the table are ones who are actually buying the product. Is that is that your model? Yeah, we have, we have about a, just about a thousand active investors right now and that grows every week. They're buying our product that we build and we continue to manage it for them. Of course, we keep our own properties too along the way, you know. but we work with a lot of investors looking to create their own portfolios and we provide the build. They walk in, come in with the, we walk in with the in-house financing and the ongoing management. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Jim, I, um, we're gonna wrap up here, but I, you know, I just trying to think what I would ask you, man, you know, I don't, um, I don't have my dad anymore to, to ask these questions to, and, and your kids are getting older, but you're sitting with a guy who, you know, has a little girl, a little baby boy, Nick's got another one on the way, you know, I, if you were to sit down with us, man, you know, and, and kind of be that dad and say, Hey guys, you're, you know, you know what season of life we're in looking back at that season what would you share you know we're around the dinner table we're drinking a beer i mean when it comes to faith and family and the things you've really learned that are important um what's a word that you you would hope we would not forget uh coming away from that dinner with you yeah oh, wow it's a big question i mean faith is a big word for me i would just say prioritizing you know, that that good is the enemy of great. It, it's yeah. okay to sacrifice a little bit of, of family, 
I mean, not a family of, of other things um, without guilt and without shame. You know, the way I've lined up my businesses, I say I spend an obscene amount of time with my family. I've had to work up to that, but I don't apologize for that. And that's where I wanted to go. So, you know, just keeping those priorities in order. I would also, and this is a simple little one, I would take inventory. You know, keep taking inventory on yourself. Am I really spending time with with my spouse, with my children? When I'm there, am I really there? You know, or am I yeah. working the next deal in my head? And one of the best ways to do that, and that's in the book, we all got to take inventory on, on, on these things. Because, you know, and I write about in the book, that can be one of the biggest distractions. I love technology. It allows us to be talking. But you'll be shocked at um, how much you actually pick up your phone or get interrupted, at least for me, that was until you actually start spending periods of, of turning it off. So, you know, for, for weekends and, and certain, you know, holidays, especially try turning your phone off, you know, who cares about the guy in seventh grade, you barely knew and what he got for Christmas, you know, here you have this ripe opportunity, these beautiful little gifts in front of you all excited and we pull ourselves out. And, and I would just be really careful of that, that I think technology is a very good thing, but it's also a very strong addictive thing that can pull us away from priority. And uh, it's something I've had to work through and, and really separate from. Uh, and it's something I encourage other people, you know, let, let, let the, the email, the text, the Facebook thread that you never need to really respond to anyway, just sit. Uh, be there with these people because those 18 summers guys, you know, now that I've, I've got two at 18 and 20, they go faster than you can know. Um, and if you do those first 18, right, they'll come back for more. Um, and I think also if you're intentional, you know, I'll leave with this. The average person will spend about 85% of the time they ever have with their children by the end of the 18th summer. That's the average person. So you want to make those 18 count. And if you're intentional, you know, with the principles we talk about, turning off your phone, getting one-on-one, -on -one, you know, letting them choose days and planning adventures together. I don't think you only have 15% more time left. I think you can get that up to 20, 25, 30, 35% more time with them, you know, because you're not average if you're focusing, you know, you can really expand that. Yeah. You know what I love about that too is <clears throat> one of the things my wife and I said, like, if there was a goal we had in parenting, which we have several little goals, but, you know, a main goal feels like we want to raise kids that we like hanging out with, you know, and like we, we want to raise kids that we enjoy. And the only way to really do that is, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to raise kids that we want to hang out with, well, you got to hang out with them now, right. To want to hang out with them later. And, and, and I hear that's what you're saying. So uh, Jim, I typically, we typically pray before we start the show and, and I forgot to do that because I was so excited to meet you. So if you don't mind, man, I just want to pray for you and, and our audience and, and we'll get out of here today. Tell me, Father, we thank you. Thank you for Jim. Thank you for his testimony. I just thank you for the wisdom that he shared that's been imparted, that's been learned from uh, from his life. Uh, what a gift it is uh, to have family. What a gift it is to be called family. Just um, even remind together, you call us family because of our love, because of our faith in Christ, your love for us. Uh, let that be a reminder to us of what's important today. Uh, I just pray for Jim. I pray over his family. I pray over his 18-year-old his and his 20-year-old uh, as he seeks to just be a mentor and, and, and a father in that stage of life. Uh, would you give him wisdom? Uh, would you give him patience? Would you give him understanding? Uh, would you bless his family as well? Um, and it just even, even as he's at these other real estate conferences, talking to these men and these women who um, maybe are not 
resonated with his message yet, who who have hurt and who have struggled and have pain in their their relationships. God, I pray that you would give Jim your Holy Spirit to to uh, speak truth and life to them that would draw them to conviction. Uh, God, that would preserve their marriages, that would preserve their families, their kids, their legacies. And we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jim, thank you, man. Appreciate you all that you do, brother. Uh, it's a good work, and we're grateful to have you on the show. No, appreciate being here. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Hey, guys, if you enjoyed this show, take a screenshot. Let us know. Tag us on Instagram, LinkedIn. And if you have not already, leave us a five-star review. That goes a long ways in really being able to attract great guests like Jim. Thanks for all your support. Appreciate everybody. Cheers.